Gen X Playback, episode 17. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the largest podcast in Nesville, PA. It's the Gen X Playback Show starring us, the Brothers High. I am Scott. And I am Sean. We'll get to him a little bit later. Together, we reminisce about the creme de la creme in the years that we grew up, more specifically the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Broadcasting to eight countries worldwide and 26 states in the good old U.S. of A., including our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. which just happens to be the hometown or the, the boyhood home of none other than Mr. Johnny Gill, formerly, uh, well, still with New Edition, but let this bring up. One of the classic New Jack Swing Gen X songs oh, yeah, from absolutely. 1990. This is his uh, solo album, uh, self-titled album. He had he was known as a as an R&B singer before he joined New Edition, mm-hmm. and then he ended up uh, joining New Edition to take over for uh, Bobby Brown because the band was afraid that the group was afraid that they were also going to lose Ralph Tresvant as well because Ralph was looking at going solo. So they brought in Johnny Gill, who was an established solo R&B artist, and uh, you know, the rest is history. So, wasn't wasn't Johnny more of a crooner when they got him? He was, yeah, yeah. He was known as. Uh, I mean, you can hear the guy. He obviously can sing very but well. This is this is the Johnny Gill that I like. This is the this was actually on the Motown label. This is one of the last really big albums that Motown produced in that era. So it's pretty cool. Um, so. Whether you're listening to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and we are now happy to announce for the first time that people are going to be able to listen to us on Amazon Music. So uh, very happy to, if you are listening to us on Amazon, welcome aboard. And and as with everybody, uh, including our listeners in D.C., Anybody who's been listening to Gen X playback so far, we really appreciate everybody joining in with uh, with our little show. Yeah, it's it's still amazing, uh, you know how this is kind of growing, kind of organically. It you know every week, uh, you know Scott goes in and he checks the stats, and there's usually a a new state, a new new city. You talked about that. There's some of the bigger cities are now starting to tune in. Um, you know, we we said early on that we wanted to kind of grow a community, and it. I think that's kind of what we're doing here. It's, you know, this is all about love for Gen X and, you know, talking about the, the great times that we had and just uh, some great good memories. Uh, you know, I know we were talking to our sister Lori recently and, you know, she was talking about our toys episode. And, you know, of course, after she criticized uh, what we said and said it wasn't accurate with the number of Barbies that she said. Why, why change the last 50 years of our <laughs> <Right>. life? <right? laughs> exactly. But but she did say, it, you know, hearing the toys brought back, back a lot of good memories. And that's kind of what we're doing here is is trying to bring back the good memories that we had uh, there, you know, especially growing up. I think for, for many of us, you look back and, and you, it's whether it's your 
you know, adolescence. It's, you know, when you hit those teenage years and even we get into our early 20s here on the show as well. Sure, there's bad times, but there's a lot of good times and hopefully we can tap into that. And what really amazes me is how much common ground people from all walks of life have with this era that we're, that we're talking about with Gen X. You know, I, I comment, the, the, part of the reason why I will throw out like how many countries we have on you know, listening to the show and uh, how many states is because I, I'm, I'm amazed that there are that many people that are interested in what we've always been interested in. So obviously right. there's, there's a vein of people that, that love to talk about that, that era um, from which, from which we grew up. And for us, it, it is a lot of happy memories. Sure. And I think it is for a lot of other people as well. I think that's, you know, just that common ground that, uh, you know, to have somebody in Los Angeles uh, have good memories of Gen X just like we did or somebody in New York City or Chicago. And to me, it's that's, I think, one of the more gratifying things about the show. Well, Scott likes to surprise me and not tell me really anything that he's going to do. And so he told me he's going to have a new intro. And I was I heard it when you heard it. And the moment it started, it brought back happy memories. <laughs> I was like, Johnny Gill, all right. Yeah, and I think um, I've that's kind of my uh, spotlight theme on this particular week's episode where I wanted to do a name that tune. We did it about two months ago. It was our, you know, according to our our reports, it was it was the most viewed uh, episode that we've done so far. It was the name that tune TV theme songs, and we're gonna get back into television again. But I thought it would be a good idea, you know, or thought it'd be fun if we because I like to bring this back from time to time is where we just take a top 40 uh, billboard 100, but we do the top 40 and go from 40 to one and just, uh, just hear the songs. It's kind of our original episode that we, it was. we first aired was without the music, without the music. <laughs> and you know, fortunately through anchor and Spotify, now we can offer that. And this hopefully now that we've, um, you know, have quite a few episodes under our belt, we'll, We'll redeem ourselves and do a little bit better job this time. You know, I still can't listen to more than like two minutes of that first episode. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> Hopefully it's getting better. So, um, yeah. Uh, but before we start the top 40, I did want to talk about something that I thought was was just phenomenal. It's it, If anybody has the, uh, the Paramount Network, uh, at, you know, accessibility to that, there was a documentary that was uh, that, that is showing right now that people can view. And it's called Sometimes When We Touch, The Rise, The Fall, and The Resurrection of Soft Rock. Okay. And uh, it's three episodes. First the rise, then the fall, and then the resurrection. And, you know, if you're a fan of that era of music, and and now they call it Yacht Rock, and they actually have Steve Huey is one of the guys that kind of coined that name. It was done... Uh, obviously, after that era, you know, Yacht Rock, the name was created about 20 years ago. And they actually came up with this series of, of YouTube videos, which you can still watch and are hilarious. I don't know how I didn't find these until just recently. Yeah, because you brought it up about about this thing, you know, that you're watching. I'm like, oh, yeah, I saw the, that YouTube thing about 10 years ago. I, I You know, I, I don't, I, I like good, you know, smart, like kind of dry humor. Yeah. I'm a, like a Christopher Guest kind of fan. You know, I, I just love the dry jokes. And when, uh, in one of the episodes when they have Daryl Hall and John Oates, who are like these angry East Coast oh, guys yeah. fighting, 
Kenny Loggins and Michael McDonald. And one of the uh, other characters gets harpooned with his lucky uh, harpoon Mm -hmm. while he's listening to uh, Christopher Cross playing the song Sailing. And everybody stops fighting and they go, oh, this is the most beautiful song. And everybody goes, hey, Coco, you're dying. And he goes, uh, you know, Christopher Cross stops playing and Coco looks up and he goes, did I tell you to stop? I mean, that's just great yep, stuff. Yep. But. No, it's, it's uh, very entertaining. I'll, I'll say that. Sometimes When We Touch, which is the, you know, the name of a song that was written by Dan Hill in the late 70s, which may be kind of considered the quintessential sappy love song. When you uh, when you actually go back and listen to the uh, words to the song, and he even goes through it. Dan Hill is interviewed in this documentary, and you know he tells the whole story as to how he wrote it and why he wrote it and who he wrote it to. And I just thought it was it was just kind of funny because, um, you know, and even he says, you know, I got made fun of for writing this song, but I made a lot of money off sure. it too. So yeah, and you know maybe that's a future episode that we can do. Uh, you know, kind of like our last episode, we talked about don't call them hair bands. Maybe we'll have to have something, don't call it Yacht Rock. Well, I, I, I've I, always loved that soft oh, rock. Oh, yeah, always, sure. Always yeah. have. And you're going to, I think, part of the reason why I chose this particular uh, countdown is this really has just about every every element of 80s music that you could probably ask for. Oh, good. You're staying in the 80s? This is in the 80s. Okay, because yes. I was a little worried because I did not know the decade. <laughs> so, you know, I wanted to, you know, Sean's my big brother, and I, I don't want to sit here and, you know, totally catch him by surprise and, you know, pick a pick a song list that he's like, I don't know what that is. I don't <laughs> yeah. know what that is. Yeah. So I figured, you know, Sean, when you think back to growing up, teenage years, mm-hmm. what would be like, maybe one of the years where music probably stood out to you the most, like a time in your life when, when it just seemed like everything was hitting on all cylinders. Uh, boy, I might go right to the middle of the decade and go 85. Okay. 84, 85, 86, the, the three, three year run, which is kind of the middle of my high school years. It, it, it was hit after hit. So I, I was thinking to myself, like if, if I wanted to hear a uh, top 40, one of my favorite years is my senior year in high school. Okay. It just seemed like in that year, 1988, 1989. Yep, sure, that's a good time. Every It just seemed like the, the charts were just kind of blowing up with good good music at that time. I thought, you know, my senior year, it's, the music was very influential uh, to me. So I thought for you, I chose your senior year. Oh, okay. Okay, so we're doing January 31st, 1987. Okay. All right, so, I, and the reason I, part of the reason why I chose this list is because like I said, you're going to have everything from maybe some harder rock to slow R&B. Mm-hmm. You have, um, there's some Latin influence in this. There's rap in this. There's, I mean, it's got pretty much everything. Okay. Which I, which was what was great about that time. I think it was, uh, you know, I, I think this is really one of the kind of the melding pot moments of the decade where it just seemed like so much was coming together at the same time. Right, and so you're getting 86 wrapped around into the beginning of 87. So, yeah, sure. I mean, you know, Scott is 100% correct when he, you know, described that era where it was a little bit of everything. Okay, so let's, we're going to count it down, uh, you know, in tribute to my favorite DJ of all time, Casey Kasem. Uh, Rick Dees, I did listen to your show, but... I'm sorry, you have to take a backseat to uh, to Casey. So, 
coming in at number 40. So before we get started, yeah. so how much do you want me to listen? Do you want me to listen to your whole little, you want to play it and then stop it and then so I... Jump in at any, as soon okay. as you recognize the song, okay. I, go ahead and go ahead and uh, you know talk about it and then we'll riff a little bit on the, uh, on the song itself. Number 40. How soon you want me to jump in? Go ahead, whatever. Okay, so this is Bruce Hornsby in the range and this is Mandolin Rain. Yes. And Bruce Hornsby, this was... A, a really good, uh, you know, debut album, which it seemed like a lot of artists were doing at that time. These guys were kind of jumping into the scene. And what always stood out to me about Bruce Hornsby was, and I only saw this maybe about two, three years ago, is is Bruce, I'm, I'm watching uh, throwback videos on MTV Classic, and I'm watching a Sheena Easton video where she's singing the song Strut. Oh, Remember? Sure. Oh, yeah, that video? absolutely. There's this kind of keyboard player that's hamming it up on the video. Mm-hmm. And I turned to Amy and I said, that looks like Bruce Hornsby. It was Bruce Hornsby. 1984, he's jumping around on a video screen with a pretty suggestive song. Yeah. And then two years later, he releases an album that's pretty thought-provoking as far as the you know some of the issues that he was tackling and, and some of the songs that he wrote. So this I, song will make you cry. I, th- yeah. This song will choke you up if you're going through something, if you're going through a breakup, and you listen to this song, it, it, it'll get you. Yeah, so I mean, I just thought it was, I, I guess guys had to make a living. You know, Barry Manilow at one time had to play for Bette Midler. Yeah. You, know, they, you, you got to do what you can to pay the bills. Do you remember um, the Rob Fisher story with Bruce Hornsby in this song? I do not. All right, so um, Scott and I used to work at this amusement park with the water buggy, water slide. And one of our co-workers was Rob Fisher. And Rob came in, and I think it was the summer of 87. And he said, you know, he would, we would listen to this the WCAU out of Philadelphia, mm-hmm. which was... Hot hits. Hot hits. It, I mean, did they ever play more than 15 songs? They played the top 20. Okay. That's what they did. So just over and over again, nonstop, good top 20, in the same order. That's what we had on all day. So you would get to hear the, the big hits. And I remember Rob saying... I'm pretty sure it was Rick Astley. Yeah, it was Rick Astley. Okay. And he was saying, he goes, he goes to me, he goes, you know, listen, he goes, he's singing his heart out. I remember that. Yeah, I remember the conversation. I remember that. I and remember then, that conversation. And I was like, well, you know what? I go, yes, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's okay. I said, but I said, I like Bruce Hornsby and Mandolin Rain. Yeah. And then I remember it came on later on and he's like, hey, hey, Scott, your brother's song's on the radio now. I just remember remember him saying, "Oh, but Sean, he's singing his heart out." <laughs> right, and you're like, "Oh, you want to talk about a song with heart?" Yeah, and I and, and I you mentioned gonna... you mentioned this song. Yeah, so how about I, I, that? As soon as you said Rick Astley, I'm like, I think I know where he's going with this. <laughs> so that was number forty, and it ended up going very high into the charts. Uh, Mandolin Rain by Bruce Hornsby, and the range number thirty nine. Sean had mentioned this band as one of his favorites from the early 80s. Yeah, and this is Wang Chung. Uh, Everybody have fun tonight. I love this song. This is like the ultimate, you know, when you hear like the, um, you know, sometimes radio stations, they'll go like with, hey, we're going to have a dance party on Saturday night. Tune in. What's the first song they usually play? This one. Still, it still holds up. Make sure you want to bop your head up and down. And if you've seen the video, folks, tell me that the guitar player does not look like Eli Manning. Because he does. 
I never thought about that. <laughs> so yeah, no Wang Chung. They uh, they had a run. They did. They 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 played for the better part of the decade. Mm-hmm. I think we talked about them when we were talking about some movies yes. and to live and die in L.A. Yes. and um, dance hall days. You know, another great Wang Chung song. But this this probably is their most famous song. It is. In a way, you know, Scott, that kind of sums up what was going on in January. What, what was the date? January what? January 31st. January 31st of 1987. It was about having fun. You know, we just, all right, so we had the sad song earlier. Mm-hmm. A little bit, you know, Bruce Hornsby, but we're going to get right back into the party That's again. That's right. That's exactly right. So that was number 39. Everybody have fun tonight by Wang Chung. So number 38 might be a little bit of a challenge. I think Sean might recognize the group, but I had a hard time doubling back on on this particular song so i'll see if you can figure this one out this is a tough one if you get this one i'd be i I would be i would be very impressed oh I, i know it yeah it's like i remember the song but sure I can throw a couple hints. Yeah, give me give me a hint. Very big in the seventies. All right, I was thinking uh, Starship. No, it's not Starship. No. Where, what state did you go to college in? Is this the band Kansas? Kansas. And he just said the title. All I wanted was to hold you. All I wanted by Kansas. All right. I mean, I, I totally remember the song, but I never would have come up with Kansas. And this is, you know. I'm sure people are going to be like, you're going to do the whole top 40. But to me, this is like the essence of a top 40. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because you play a top 20, you'll never hear the song because nope. it never made it that far. Nope. It, it made it into, I think, the high 20s, but it never, this is at number 38. It doesn't go a whole lot higher than this. So, you know, the fact that I immediately knew uh, Bruce Hornsby and the range, and I immediately knew Wang Chung. Yeah, I've heard those songs a lot over the years. I don't know if I've heard this song since 1987. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's kind of the beauty of, uh, you know, folks have Sirius XM that with uh, 80s on 8, as they always do every week, they do a top 40 from whatever year, date and year. And it's it's really, that's what I enjoy most is this 40 to 20. Mm is where you get to hear some of these some of these songs. So that was number 38. Okay, good one. All I Wanted by Kansas. Let's go to number 37. I want surprises. This is Dead or Lie spinning right round. Well, or, oh, is it Brand New Lover? Brand New Lover. Brand new lover. Pete Burns. <laughs> Very interesting guy. But I tell you what, um, of the Dead or Alive songs, I did not care for Spin Me Around. Yeah. I, I, this was the one I, I liked a lot better. I agree. This is a good dance song. You me- remember the video? I sure do. <laughs> it was kind of a cowboy? <laughs> yes. Uh, for some reason, in the new romantic period with some of these new wave bands, that the cowboy look was, that was a thing. Like, he wasn't the only one that was going for it. I remember later on... Um, Depeche Mode, mm-hmm. doing like the cowboy thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so th- it was out. It was definitely something that people liked. So, of course, we grew up around cowboys, so we're 
I, you know, I, I wonder, you know, about a song like this, what the younger generations think about it, if if it resonates with them. For me, I love this. And maybe it's because I was there at the time and I experienced it. And we had a, uh, a local dance club and, you know, an under 21 dance club called Rick's Place in mm-hmm. Lancaster. This was a song that in January of 1987, I probably was out dancing at Rick's Club to the song. Well, this was this was kind of our dance music resurgence because I think disco kind of flamed people out sure. on dance clubs. But then, you know, you're talking eight years later, I think people were ready to go back to the dance clubs. So this was the kind of music that you would hear in, in a place like a club fact, like Rick's Place. In fact, I totally remember dancing to this song at Rick's Place. Yeah, so... Sean is right. Brand new lover by Dead or Alive, and uh, yeah, a, a great song to this day. So um, that was number thirty-seven. Number thirty-six is a extremely famous song, and let's see if Sean can connect who's actually singing this particular version. Oh, there's a twist. I, I remember this version. I mean, it's obviously the Elvis song. Mm-hmm. Can you pick the singer? But that name, that voice is so familiar. It is. Yeah. Right, give me a little hint. Canadian. Corey Hart. Corey Hart is yeah. correct. All right. Yeah. And it is the Elvis song, the remake of Can't Help Falling in Love. Yeah. This I totally is- forgot that this was a, a song by Corey Hart. I mean, that he released this. Yeah, sure. I remember this. This, I think, this kind of falls in the line of, and I'm sure many of you Gen Xers out there agree with me. Some artists have a pretty good catalog of songs, but when you when you listen to the compilations and the, and the over the years, I get so mad because, you know, one of my favorite artists is Billy Joel, but yet whenever you listen to a channel or a station, what do they play? One song. We didn't start the fire. It's like, ah, you know, it was such a good song, and now I've kind of grown to resent it a little bit. Right. Meanwhile, you get a guy like Corey Hart, who, if you go back and listen to his greatest hits album, has got some pretty good stuff. Other than sunglasses, sunglasses at, at night. night. Yeah. yeah. I, I am so tired of that song. And uh, uh, I think it's a shame because you know Corey Hart has this this album, this Fields of Fire that he album that he came out with has got a couple of really good songs on it, and it's on his Greatest Hits uh, compilation. Mm-hmm. I think it's worth listening to. I think Corey Hart's one of those forgotten artists for at least American uh, music listeners. Well, we're going to do our best to, to revive Corey's career here in America. <laughs> that, you know, I totally, totally forgot about that song. So, yeah, that's that, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, Sean will have no problem with this next song. Uh, and I think really ties into kind of what our show is really all about this this may be this could possibly be our theme song if we wanted to this would be eddie money i want to go back and of course every every song from this era had a video and this is eddie going back to his high school class reunion yep this is on his can't hold back album which was kind of his comeback he had been out of the music industry for about four years. Right. 
He had two comebacks. Yeah, he did. Um, I mean, he, he had was the, in the 70s, and then he came back with like in the, the early uh, 81-ish. I think I'm in love, a shaken. Right. Mm-hmm. I. This is one of my favorite songs of the decade. Uh, the Money Man. And I, I was, I liked Eddie Money, um, but this, uh, this song just, it's one of the songs that, you know, speaks to an individual. Mm-hmm. And I just remember hearing that. Uh, this is, this is great. I don't know. I, I would be fine with this being our theme song. <laughs> I mean, it's, he's kind of being a little sad, but you know, it it takes me back to the video more than anything it else. Does. And yeah, we, you know, back in the '80s, you know, we would get together at people's houses and you'd you'd hang out and you'd watch MTV. So while a previous generation might have sat around and listened to albums, you know, I guess we would do some of that, but for the most part, you would socialize. It, it was the background music that was going on while, like me and my friends, might have been playing cards. Right, I you know my my one one of my best friends in high school, Scott Sangry, and I. Uh, I remember a lot of nights, like we would go to each other's houses and watch like the Flyers on on Prism, because they had Prism also. So we would watch the Flyers, and then as soon as the game ended, about nine thirty, you take Prism off, you put MTV on. Sure, and that was kind of in the backdrop. Yeah, and then every once in a while. You know, you watch a video would catch your eye, or You'd look over. But uh, otherwise, it was kind of like your white noise. Sure. So this was "I Want to Go Back" from Eddie Money, number thirty-five, number thirty-four. This was kind of the beginning of of this band's career, and they ended up being pretty prolific in the late '80s. And I'm sure you'll recognize this right away. Allow it to kind of simmer here. But once you hear the voice, you'll know exactly who it is. Not one of this band's bigger hits, but still a hit nonetheless. Is it the Rhythmics? Nope. Oh, there you go. All right. I mean, falling in love. Um, oh, I like. Oh, I'll give you a hint. Yeah. When this album came out first, they were known as the band. The lead singer kind of got pushed to the forefront by the end of the decade. Is this Berlin? Nope. I'll give me another hint. I mean, I totally know the song. Husband and wife, part of the uh, band. Husband and wife, part of the band. Yes. Was she the singer? She was. This is this is. Uh, I thought you would have gotten the the voice, especially when she started to like. Um, Projector voice. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I know it. Well, at the time, they were known as the Miami Sound Machine. Oh, Gloria Estefan. Gloria Estefan. Was, really, her husband was in the band? Yeah, her husband was I thought was he was run- just the manager. Mm-mm. No, he was, 
eventually he stepped away from being like an actual band member. Okay. But when uh, Gloria Estefan was, he recruited her when yeah. she was in college. Right. Okay. You know that's sure that's Gloria Estefan and. This was not Miami Sound Machine. This was Miami Sound Still Machine. Still Miami Sound Machine. This was called Primitive Love. That was the album. This was the one that had conga on it and okay. uh, words get in the way. I mean, this was a big album. This, right, This sure. was extremely popular. So, yeah, I know. Love, people the out there, they're, they're criticizing me right now and say, how could you miss that one, Sean? Hey, come on. When was the last time you heard that song? Uh, 1987. All right. So, uh, that was at number 34. Number 33... I want to get Sean's take on on this particular song, so um, see what you think of it. Is this Bruce Willis? It is Bruce Willis, yes. <laughs> see, he gets that one right away, folks. <laughs> yeah. That means respect yourself, right? Yes, that is correct. Respect yourself. This ended up being a top five song. Oh, Bruce Willis was big. You know, he wasn't even a movie star at this point. Nope. Was, this was strictly based upon his time on Moonlighting. Moonlighting with Sybil Shepherd And his uh, Seagram Wine Cooler commercials. When he sang in that commercial as well. Yeah. This was during a time where there was a bunch of crossover from actors that wanted to be singers. I mean, I don't know if John Johnson appears on the list later on, but it's right about that same time. And I think it's, I think MTV is a big part of that because you had musicians that kind of now are acting in videos. So why not have actors that are going to sing? Well, we kind of, you know, that happened a lot in the seventies. You know, there were a lot of like, think about John Travolta was was an actor who had a singing career. The dude from Starsky and Hutch had a hit song. Susie Quattro. Susie Quattro was uh, well. Um, she was leather Tuscadero. She was leather Tuscadero. Yeah, I was thinking of Pinky Tuscadero, yeah. but. Um, yeah, I mean, there were quite a few actors that had uh, music careers back back in the day. So this really wasn't, it was unusual for us because I, I don't think it had been done in a while. But Don Johnson had a song out at the, sure. at the, around the yeah. same time. And um, the dude from General Hospital, um, All I Need was this, uh, Jack... Uh, Wagner? Jack Wagner, there yeah. you go. I mean, Michael Damien had a song, so... Sure. There were actors that were, you know, trying to make it. A uh, guy by the name of Rick Springfield. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I never heard of him. All right. So that was number 33, Respect Yourself, uh, by Bruce Willis. The album is The Return of Bruno. Oh, yeah. That's right. So uh, number 33. Number 32, Sean will, I predict Sean will get this in three notes. So, <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, here we go. Yeah! Oh, well, this is BC Boys. <laughs> Fight for your right to party. You got it. Kick it! I can't believe it was only number 33 at well, this point. It was on its way up. I thought it might be on its way down. Because the you know License to Ill came out in the fall of '86, correct. And you know, my brother got to hear it every single day on the way into school. But this this song or this album did probably more for rap music in the mainstream than maybe any other rap album out there, including well, 
Raising Hell by Run DMC, mm-hmm. the Beastie Boys License to Ill. Those two albums did more for rap music in mainstream popularity, I think, than any other two rap songs. You maybe could go a little bit further down to DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. But I think Run DMC and Beastie Boys, those, those guys really got it started. This is the landmark album for what put rap into the mainstream. So what we're experiencing today with hip-hop music and rap music doesn't happen without this. Yeah. And I think part of the reason is, is prior to the Beastie Boys, you would have some white kids that liked rap like you, you and I. But for the most part, our friends early on did not care for rap. Yeah, and I and I said that in our in our last episode that for the most part we were in in this area we were kind of limited to what was on the radio. Right. So if something broke on the radio, that was when we got into it. I remember uh, we were much further ahead of our friends in rap music, or much much further ahead in rap music than what our friends were. We yeah. were kind of we were kind of the ones that brought rap to right. our our group of friends. Well, part of that too is I think you know we could get the Philadelphia stations and we had Power ninety nine, mm-hmm. and so they would play rap and we would hear it and. But with the Beastie Boys, as you just heard, you know, it had a hard rock guitar, hard rock beat where you would, you got the crossover. So that we talked about, you know, Don't Call Me Hair Bands last week. So people that were into that music listened to that song and said, hey, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. And it, it brought in a new fan base. Absolutely. And, and consequently, we, when I said about the, uh, the soft rock, uh, rap music did a lot to bring soft rock to the new generation of music fans because... My kids love that yacht rock type radio. Okay, now. The, and a lot of that, uh, a lot of that influence. When you look at uh, uh, rap artists like Snoop Dogg and uh, Nate G, they brought some of these soft rock songs. See, I could have told the, you that. I don't listen. Uh, or Warren G. Sorry, yeah. Nate G. Warren G. Um, that they started to bring some of these soft rock songs okay. in. So they were sampling some of the soft. They rock. They were and, all right because they were big fans of it. And you in in that documentary, uh, Daryl Mack from uh, from run dmc is is in there he said i loved that music mm-hmm. he said one of my favorite songs of all time is chicago saturday in the park really it said it's one of because he said them singing about being in the park in the sunshine and having a good time was exactly the kind of life that he could live going to the park in queens and going out and, and playing with his friends oh okay so mm-hmm. he said that he was he loved that song anyway uh that was number 32 fight for your right to party by the Beastie Boys off their License to Ill album. Number 31, one of my favorite songs by this particular group. Very underrated album. And these guys have had a career. Well, I mean, you you can't hear the beginning and, and listen to Steve Perry's voice and not know his journey. Correct. I'll be all right without you. Off the, you remember the album? This is the Raised on the Radio album. And this is by far my favorite song off of that album. I don't get tired of this song. This, of of the Journey albums, you know, as great as Escape was, Mm -hmm. I guess maybe it's because of the age and when the albums came out, but I think I was... More toward, leaning more towards Frontiers, sure, and then Raised on Radio. Uh, those, to me, those are some pretty important albums in my in my teenage years. I remember you had this album. Like, absolutely, yeah. I absolutely, and I had Frontiers too. Yeah, and I, I 
I, I never bought this uh, cassette, but I remember borrowing yours. Yeah, and I may have dubbed it at one point, okay. but I never actually went out and purchased it. But I had, you know, I had. Uh, I, I think I bought Frontiers. I Lori had Escape, so I would listen to her album. Yeah, and this this was. Um Journey was going through a little bit of a transition at this point. Can you almost hear Randy Jackson in the background? Randy Jackson from American Idol is the bassist. Yeah. And is Ansley Dunbar is the drummer. Uh, because ah. Steve Smith, the last album that he played on was Did Frontiers. Dunbar come back and drum? Because he was the he was the drummer before Steve Smith came into the band. So okay. I, I don't know if Steve Smith was still there or not. I know Ross Valerie was out of the band. Correct. Um, yeah. They might have just been... I mean, they might have had a different drummer. Uh, but, I mean... Neil Sean has such a, a recognizable guitar sound. Yeah, and he, artists, other guitarists, really, he has influenced a lot of of guitar players. And I don't think he really gets his just due or or the credit deserved. Maybe from, um, you know, just what a what an amazing career this band has had. Him, and they and they've had gone through some lineup changes. Mm-hmm. And that's so hard. To have a, a band be relevant for twenty plus years and have that many lineup changes and be able to still, but but it's, uh, it's I think it's strictly on the not strictly but a lot of that credit goes to Neil Sean because he's been the he's one the only constant. original I mean he's the only guy that's been through every lineup that they've had from yeah. the seventies on till today yeah so that was number thirty one I'll be all right without you uh, journey on their raised on radio album uh, number thirty. You'll recognize the artist. Uh, we'll see if you recognize the song. So it starts out a little slow, so we're going to... I'm sure you can recognize the uh, singer. Well, I know it's Aretha Franklin. It's correct. But I'm waiting for it to kick in a little bit. It's going to uh, gonna kick in here in a little bit. my memory. I mean, Aretha has such a distinct voice. And she had a comeback right about this time. This was on that comeback album. Who's Zooming Who? Yeah. Um, Is it Jimmy? It's Jimmy Lee by Aretha Franklin. You know, at this point, Aretha is in her 40s, and like Tina Turner... Well, that's who I was thinking of. It, it was kind of similar to Tina's comeback. When when Tina Turner made her comeback, uh, you know, there's Aretha Franklin and quite a few artists who were very popular in the 60s and 70s, but Clive Davis, he did this for a lot of... There was At this point, there was a little bit of a resurgence with some groups that had been sort of out of the limelight and the monkeys comes to mind because they had their 20th anniversary album and tour around around this time but that was then this is now sure there were some there were some groups that were starting to come back a couple of years later you know the bgs had a comeback the doobie brothers had a comeback so i think some of these bands that had been gone for a number of years and maybe thought that the music scene had passed them on were coming out with original music. The Moody Blues were coming out with stuff at this time. The I, Kinks, yeah. they were coming out with things. So 
Uh, or do, you think, do you think that would happen today? It's possible. Um, I mean, Britney Spears has an album that's back on the charts, and uh, her and Elton John, so I, okay. it, it's possible. Um, because, I mean, that happened, as you just mentioned. You know, it, it wasn't unusual for some soul artist in particular. I mean, it, you, know, we t- you know, you just mentioned about how Aretha, uh, you know, who we're listening to. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, I think we liked that style of music. It's like this Motown kind of music that Gen X seemed to really appreciate when they, they came out with new releases. And, you know, that's what Clive Davis, you know, they said he was the man with the golden ears and he just kind of knew where you'd have somebody who was just a really talented singer. And I think Aretha talked about Clive Davis is she had said that Clive came to her and said, I think you still have something to give. And he goes, I'm going to find you the resources to kind of bring your sound a little bit more contemporary. And remember, uh, she did the duet with George Michael. Oh, yeah. Uh, which went to number one. Uh, New Year Waiting. Waiting. Yep. Yeah. And so it kind of jump-started her career and made her relevant again. I mean, Pink Cadillac, I remember her having a hit with that song. And it was just, uh, for, for Aretha, it was a nice, nice little three-year run for her where she was right back on the charts again where she had been gone for about maybe 10 years, I think. And, you know, this song that we're listening to, I totally remember it, uh, but it's not one that I would have come up with that, you know, you know I, some of the other ones you rattled off, sure, I remember those. Those, those were bigger hits, but, you know, it, I think it says something when you, not only do you have, like, the big hits that, you know, like, uh, you know, we, you know, we talk about Tina Turner and simply the best and, you know, mm-hmm. something, of course you remember that, but when you have those kind of, in between hits that might have fallen to like number thirty on the charts, I, you know, that it, it speaks to the volume of of how popular she became for that little period. Right. So that was number thirty, uh, Jimmy Lee by the Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin, who I just saw in the Blues Brothers movie once again. Oh movie. yeah. And I was thinking about that when the song was playing <laughs> too. Yep. They still owe you money, fool. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. better wait or better think. I'm sorry. Yep. Uh, so number 29, and I have to admit, I think at some point I'm going to do an episode on um, like the guilty pleasures, and I, I have to say, I am a sucker for this kind of music, and uh, so this is number 29, see if Sean can uh, recognize the song, maybe even guess where it comes from. It's a duet. Very good. Yeah, you're on. You're on a roll. Somewhere up there, close. Somewhere out there. Out there. Yeah. Um. He did that without them even singing. Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna get this wrong. Is that Kim Carnes? Yes. Big in the '70s. Kind of stepped away from the pop music scene. You'll get the. I'm pretty sure you'll get the guy right away. He's like Jeffrey Osborne or somebody yeah. like. It is similar. Similar. Yeah. Is that Al Jarreau? Nope. No. Yeah. I mean, it, wait, you, got, you got the song right. What, what movie is this from? It's a Disney movie. It's called American An American Tale. Yes. All right. It's a cartoon. Yeah. Never saw it, but I remember yeah. seeing clips. A Disney animated movie. Yeah. All right. So who are the artists? This is 
James Ingram. James Ingram, yes. And he is singing a duo with Linda Ronstadt. Sure, okay. Yeah, all right. And this was another, this ended up going into the top five. I can see why I missed Linda Ronstadt, but James Ingram, how did I miss that? Right. I, I don't know why I'm such a sucker for these songs. I like these slow ballads. You're just romantic at heart. I guess so. I don't know. I, but I've I've always been a huge fan. Uh, I remember being a huge fan of Jeffrey Osborne. I still love Jeffrey Osborne yeah. to this day. I've always been kind of drawn to that kind of R&B, kind of slow jam kind of music. Mm-hmm. And. Those of our listeners that are in, the, are in the Philly area think in the early 90s, there was a radio station called Star 104.5, mm-hmm. and they used to have a weekend uh, show called Between the Sheets mm-hmm. with, uh, what was his name? Christopher uh, Knight. Christopher Knight. He was the son of the guy who had the uh, morning show on the oldie station, 98.1, Don Cannon. So uh, Christopher oh, that was Knight. Don Cannon's son. That's his son, yeah. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, and when I went to broadcasting school, one of my instructors used to work part-time over at Star Warner 4.5, and he said he would come in on the weekends because he worked at Y102 in Reading. That was his full-time job. So he would do shifts on the weekends in Philly, and he would go there, and Christopher Knight would be, and he said the way that he would do it is he would take the microphone and he would put it on the floor, and he would literally be laying on the floor. Mm-hmm. So I picture that in your heads, folks, when you're, Sean and I are not laying on the floor. We're sitting at a desk right. or at a table. Um, but but the DJ is literally laying on the floor because it made his voice sound deeper, and he would try to talk like this. Like hey, it was a great show. I loved. It. I used yeah, to listen all the time. But this uh, somewhere out there by Linda Ronstadt the sheets. and uh, James Ingram was played pretty uh, heavily on uh, Between the Sheets. So I uh, just thought you might enjoy that. That was number twenty nine on our top forty list from January thirty first, nineteen eighty seven. Number twenty eight. Is another uh, name that was probably bigger in the 1970s, but uh, kept recording music. And this was this was a song that was a relative hit for her. Is this Kim Carnes? No. <laughs> I'm just going to keep guessing Kim Carnes. <laughs> yeah, give me a hint. I know this song. I totally know this song. But she kind of had, This was kind of a, a little bit of a comeback for her as well. Um, she was married oh, no, to another famous singer. I know this song. She won an Academy Award for singing the song to uh, the movie Working is it, is Girl. It, is it, um, oh, she was married to James Taylor. You got it. And she's saying, you're so vain. That's right. And I can picture her, and I'm drawing a blank on her name. First initial C. Hi, um, Carly Simon. Carly Simon, right. I mean, yep. yes, sure, Carly Simon. Coming around again. Uh, I still hear this song sometimes. Occasionally, yeah. This this will make it on the uh, you know the slow rock soft rock yeah yeah kind of uh, channels but yeah uh, Carly Simon God, I like this song. wasn't a fan when this was out 
as I'm older, I appreciate Carly Simon a lot more. I didn't, right. I didn't, I didn't get why people made such a big deal about her. I think I was too young to understand what she was before she started making music like this. Mm-hmm. So, my fault. But this is a good song. Number twenty-eight on our top forty list. Yeah, you know, back in nineteen eighty-seven, I don't know that that's something that would have been high on my list. Uh, you know, I I definitely was listening to more of the Beastie Boys than I was listening to, uh, you know, Carly Simon. But sure. I certainly can appreciate that, as you have said. Now that I'm older, and you know, I can see why maybe the those middle-aged people were like humming along to that and listening to that on the uh, the easily the soft rock stations. I sure. think it was great. All right, that was number twenty-eight. Number twenty-seven. Let's see if Sean can guess this one. Well, this sounds like the Cars. It does. But stay the night. All right. Stay the night. It is stay the night. But don't think about the cars. Oh, is Ben Ben Orr? Benjamin Orr. Is yeah, correct. the lead singer of the Cars. He came out with a solo album. Uh, okay. This this is a good song. I, this is a song that I really liked back then. Yeah, when I when I was kind of like floating through the charts year by year. This year really stood out to me because it's quality top 40. It, the the year 1987 as a whole or 86 into 87? I, I just think this this particular countdown, because I wanted to try and, because right now we're recording this in January, so I thought oh, we'll try and stay within the month. Okay. Uh, so I was looking at late January of all the years in the decade, and this one really jumped. This, this, this top 40 really jumped out of me because... You know, as I said, it kind of has the elements of everything. Mm-hmm. We were, um, you know, 13, 14 songs into this countdown. And think of all the different styles that we've already just heard. And, you know, here you have uh, the case for Benjamin Orr. You know, he's he and Rico Casca are the two lead singers of The Cars. And I think this happened frequently where you would get people that would do little solo projects. Absolutely. And they would have a big hit. They went, they went leave the band. But they would go off, do something. Um, you know, C. Perry did his little solo project, you know, a, co- a year or two before. Went back to Journey again. Um, it, it, this wasn't unusual to have it happen where, you know, I don't know if they were just trying things out, why that was the case back then, where you would get these little solo numbers and you'd have these these big top 20 hits. But, you know, it definitely happened in this era. Well, the, the poster child, I think, for that was Phil Collins. And Genesis. And he never left Genesis. And even Mick Jagger did it for a while. Mick Jagger did it. Mike Rutherford, also yeah. from Genesis. Sure. We all had Mike in the Mechanics. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. There, I, I remember watching the uh, the kind of the fictionalized documentary, the, I guess you could call it the, the story of New Edition. And in there, the, the guy who plays Ralph Tresvant, he is obsessed with Phil Collins. Really? Because he desperately wanted to make a solo album because he wanted to be Phil Collins. He wanted to do New Edition, and he wanted to do Solo. Okay. And that's why they ultimately hired Johnny Gill, because they were afraid he was going to leave and go away permanently. Mm-hmm. And in the in that little um, in that little show, that uh, miniseries that they did on New Edition, he's like, no, no, no. He goes, I have no intention of leaving. He goes, I want to be Phil Collins. I, and, he's, <laughs> and it actually has, uh, I think they're playing like No Jacket Required in the background okay. as he's you know, telling the story, so... Uh, but yeah, I mean, a lot of these guys were doing side projects, and 
where you had somebody like uh, you know Neil Sean who mm-hmm. did work with various artists, Jan Hammer, right. Sammy Hagar, uh, but these guys, uh, you know, Steve Perry comes out with a solo album. It's got several hits on it. Now these these artists are doing. Obviously, you said it sounded like the Cars, but it was it was definitely it had a softer vibe to it than what the Cars. The Cars were had a little more edge to them, more guitar, right? And so this was very synthesizer driven, mm-hmm. but uh, and Ben or Benjamin Orr was the bass player for for the Cars, and it was, but it was it was a nice kind of change of pace where people could identify with the voice, recognize the voice, and it, the the music was just slightly different from yeah. from what they were accustomed to. So. That was number 27, Stay the Night by Benjamin Orr, who sadly has passed away, uh, passed away about uh, 12, 13 years ago. Um, number 26 on our countdown from 1987. This was a big album for that year. For this, speaking of big, this is Big Time by Peter Gabriel. You know, Peter Gabriel was an artist that you and I probably were aware of, but he really didn't hit the mainstream until this album. What I found interesting about um, Peter Gabriel is, yeah, he was a member of Genesis, one of the original members right, of Genesis. Right, which was before our time. I, I don't remember him in Genesis at all. But the reason that he left the band was he felt that they were becoming, they were pandering to the audience. They were becoming too too popular, too, too popular. pop, too pop oriented. They were trying, they were trying to create music that would enjoy the masses. Sold albums, and he basically called them sellouts. Yet, ten years later, and I have to say, the early '80s Peter Gabriel, I found a little disturbing. Shock the monkey. Yes, that as a you know 12, 13 year old kid kind of scared me. I'm not gonna lie, that was mm-hmm. that was kind of a disturbing video. And then he comes out with one of the best pop albums of the '80s. Sure. And this, you know, he hires, you know, the famous Memphis Horns to play on this album. And uh, with uh, this, to me, is my favorite song off of the um, the So album, which won all kinds of awards for him, sold millions of copies. Mm-hmm. It, it just to me, it was just kind of ironic and funny that you know he accused. You know, another group of being sellouts, and then came out with one of the better pop albums of, of a decade. Although, you know, from what I've heard, he he did not leave on bad terms from Genesis. It's it's literally he wanted to be more artistic. He was from what I learned later. Uh, you know, when when we were younger, I didn't know he was in Genesis, except people talked about him being in Genesis, and they would you would see videos where he would have he was very. Almost like an art art student. Yes, and he would you know come out with these costumes. It was very conceptual, right? And he that's kind of what he was after. And so the fact that they wanted to go more straightforward, they left on good terms, and he did his artistic thing. And then, as you say, later on, he kind of does what Genesis does. And I I don't. Do you ever hear the reason? I mean, was there ever anything said why he decided to go in that direction? Was it the record company put pressure, or he just? kind of decided he was ready to make a pop record. I think that's what it ultimately came down to is he, and um, he opened up a recording studio and I think he started to see some of these bands come in because it was, you know, very state of the art studio that in England that a lot of people used. Actually, 
brought Donny Osmond out when Donny Osmond did a Soldier of Love mm-hmm. as kind of his comeback for him. And so that was recorded at um, Peter Gabriel's studio. And I guess a lot of people came out and recorded there. And maybe the influence of seeing all these other groups come in got his juices flowing that he wanted to do something that was going to be enjoyable for the masses. But like I said, I mean, so was was a huge hit in 1986, 1987. Mm-hmm. Sold and sold a boatload of, of albums. Well, I couldn't tell you how popular it was. I remember one day at the amusement park that we just you know said earlier that Scott and I worked at, you know, the Water Buggy Water Slide. And... You know, Scott and I both got the wonderful duty of going early on occasion and cleaning the bathrooms before the park opened. And I remember one day being there, parked in the parking lot, waiting for our boss, Al Shuss, Mr. Shuss, to show up. And so he could, <laughs> could let me in, and he came pulling in the car. You know, how old would you say Mr. Shuss? Al was back at the time, in the 40s? Big Al was probably about 45. I yeah, all right. Yeah. So he came pulling in with sledgehammer blaring. And the stereo. And he drove a sports car. And that shows you kind of how popular it was. Yeah. Where Now, he was a high school teacher. You know, right. he, he was a high school soccer coach, and I think he was a uh, maybe an eighth grade English teacher, I think, something like that. I think you're right. Yeah. So he still was around, you know, kids. And he's working at the water slide. And, you know, as Scott and I said, we heard the top 20 over and over and over again. And so, you know, Mr. Shuss, Al, he was he was hip. and But <laughs> I just that just goes to show you how popular it was where... You know, guy in his 40s was, was blaring it through the speakers. So to give you a water buggy story, um, we had at, at the water slide, it was a big hill. And so when the lifeguards would go to the top of the hill, uh, we kind of had this um, kind of a relay system, you know, when they would make people change because we had to change spots. We would, sometimes we'd be in the pool. Sometimes Keep us rotated. Yeah, yeah. We, we'd have to rotate everybody out. So there were, I think, four or five owners, and they were all school teachers, and they, they got into this business together. Um, Mr. Shuss was the only one that used the PA system, which was the worst <laughs> PA system ever. Yeah. And he, so when he would come on and all you hear was this, <laughs> and you're like, you're, you got your arms out and you're like, what? I, I've not, I remember the one time he started freaking out because there was a lightning strike. Yeah. Yeah. I remember and, that one. And he gets on the PA and he starts yelling into the PA and everybody's like, what's he saying? Yeah. I have no idea what he's saying. So that was big Al Shuss. Yeah. Uh, shout out to him. Uh, that was number 26, Peter Gabriel and Big Time off of the album So. Number 25, one of my favorite New Jack songs. See if you can remember it. Um, I think this is going to bring back a lot of good memories for people. This is a song that doesn't get played often at all, but I love this song. Sean will remember it at some point. Yeah. I don't know that the intro got played a whole lot on the radio. This is probably where it starts. Oh, yeah, now I remember it. Now I got to come up with it. He was part of a very well-known family group that was huge in the early 80s. We're talking huge. DeBarge? You're talking DeBarge. Yeah. And I'm trying to remember which DeBarge. Was it L? L was the one with the high voice. He's the one that did Who's Johnny. 
I don't I don't remember my debarges. Chico. Chico? Yes, Chico DeBarge. Chico yes. DeBarge. This I, was I, his only hit. I was coming up with DeBarge. This is a great song. But yeah, I love this yeah, song. Sure. Um, Chico DeBarge, from what I read about him, the record company felt he was much more talented than L. Okay. Unfortunately, Chico had a really bad substance problem, mm-hmm. as most of the family members did at the time. And the reason that L. DeBarge got the first record contract when the group disbanded was because they felt he was the most responsible one in the group. Which I think is a shame because that DeBarge, I, people forget how big they were. And I think we talked about that in episode one. DeBarge mm-hmm. is one of those groups that kind of got pushed away. Yeah. In 1983, 1984, Rhythm of the Night. I mean, they, they were all over the place. Mm-hmm. And... This song here just shows just how talented, yeah. you know, the, for for a guy like Chico to come back and have a, a dance song like this. This was played at Rick's place a lot. <laughs> and the fact is, what number on the charts is this one? Number twenty five. Twenty five. So it kind of flames out around twenty one. It's it. That's interesting because this is not something that you're going to hear played. I would imagine on any eighties weekend or or you know it. Most 80s stations probably aren't going to go that deep. Right. So that was uh, Chico DeBarge. And, and again, it's one of those songs that you kind of kind of got covered up in the dirt. Chico DeBarge. Um, yeah. But I, I'm, I'm sure for, for people, if you're putting a playlist together that you want to play at your next barbecue or whatever, and you want to throw out some good 80s music, that's a good 80s jam to bring mm-hmm. out that people are going to be like, hey, I haven't heard that one but, in, in, in years. But who is that? Yeah, yeah, who is that guy? So number 25 is Chico DeBarge and Talk To Me. Number 24 um, seeing as the the name of the song jumps out at you right away, I think Sean will get this one right away. Notorious. My favorite Duran Duran song of all time. I know you've said that, yeah. <laughs> I love Notorious. Oh, this this is so Nile Rodgers influenced on this. That's where John Taylor, I think, really shines when you're starting to hear his bass play. You know, it's interesting that you say that because this was post Power Station. It was, yeah. Where he, I didn't even think about Andy Taylor, John Taylor, as like good musicians, yeah, until they had their side projects, right. But I think when they came back from those side projects, now you're hearing John all over the place, mm-hmm. which is good because he's he's very talented. He's a very funky bass, yeah. And I know that. Uh, Niall and John kind of formed a pretty good attachment. Okay. And Niall Rogers is one of the great bass players of all time himself. Uh, Niall's was the guitar player. It was Bernard. At, uh, but Niall's played bass on a lot of did he? On a, a lot of albums okay. that he's produced. All right. And you could, like you said, you can definitely hear that that influence in in this uh, in this album. So yeah, yeah Niall Rogers did this one notorious for. Duran Duran. Oh, I still listen to this song all the time. Sure. This, this one was not going to be a, a difficult one. This one never left the playlist. Yeah. Um, they were one of the biggest bands of the decade. I even debated uh, asking you if this should be our intro at, at one point. I think you did. I do remember <laughs> that, yeah. Um, but yeah, this was this was kind of post... The, the, the band at this point wasn't the original uh, group that they... Uh, were, was everybody part of this album? No, no. The, I thought the, they had split the, up. No, yeah. there was only three. It, it was Correct. only uh, uh, Son of Le Mans. 
John Taylor and um, Nick Nick Rhodes. Nick Rhodes was yeah. was still in the band. Other than that, because because Roger, the drummer, had kind of the the pressure of being Duran Duran was a little much for him at this point, and you know it was just too out of control. He stepped away, and Andy, you know a- Andy, always liked the studio a little more than he liked the road, and he kind of starting to become more of a record producer, and uh, you know we, he was more into creating and making music than being a part of Duran Duran. Okay. Yeah. It, um, one of the great runs by, uh, I guess you could call them like, put them on the Mount Rushmore of, of that new wave, that new romantic uh, period for, for bands. Duran Duran coming out of England really kicked the door down in the United States. They were, they were absolutely huge yeah. worldwide. One yeah. of the biggest bands in the world. Probably you say 1984, 1985. Duran Duran was up there in anybody's top five conversation. I well, I don't remember which band member said this, but the, you know they said during the heyday, the early days, uh, you know, of MTV when they were just the darlings for the you know the first two three years, where they would go on the road and they play concerts. They said they couldn't hear themselves because of the girls screaming. I believe throughout it. the entire show, and then it was only probably like during this run that they you know could actually hear their instruments. Yeah. So that was number 24, Notorious by Duran Duran. Number 23, a song written by Bruce Hornsby, but for a different group. One of my favorite albums Huey of the 80s. Lewis and the News. Jacob's Ladder. Correct. I, I always like this song. Four... You know, sports is the one that people remember. Four, I liked so much. Yeah. And I'm not going to say it was my favorite Huey Lewis album, but there's such, it's such a different sound than what sports had just was that great Mm -hmm. Bay Area, LA sound. This kind of showed a maturity of them as a group. Hip to be square. Mm -hmm. Jacob's Ladder. Uh, stuck with you. I just—it's such a good album, top to bottom. One of my you know, one of my favorite albums of the decade. Yeah, they definitely had a run with those two albums, Sports and Four. The uh, you know I, I don't know if people remember how hugely popular Huey Lewis and the News were at the time. I think you know it's still you know you'll hear a song, people say, oh yeah, sure they were big, but they were humongous. And it's really a shame. I'm sure many of you Gen X fans know what Huey Lewis is going through personally right now with his hearing. He's, he has, uh, he's been diagnosed with some type of uh, ear disease and his, he's losing his hearing. Yeah. And I know I watched uh, on Paramount, they do these, uh, they redo these behind the music that was very popular on VH1. Okay. So they kind of, with, with Huey Lewis, they brought him back last year and kind of updated, kind of refreshed that behind the music that came out in the late 90s. And Huey talks about his hearing, and what's been and what's been going on, and I, it feels so bad for the guy because, so they say some days his hearing's okay, and then there's some days where it's pretty much gone. Really, and he, you know, with uh, what's more important to a singer besides his voice than him being able to hear his voice, sure, and be able to stay in tune. And, and I know, uh, I felt so bad for him during the document, watching the documentary, because you could just tell it killed him. It was, uh, it was his life, you know, his life was singing. And sure, and, you know, you and I are very much into music, and it, it's always been such a big part of our lives, and it, you know, 
we've said many times, we'll hear a song and it'll just make us happy. Mm-hmm. And if you have that taken away, I, I there's to lose the joy that you get from from music just would be horrible. Yeah. So, um, but uh, one thing that Huey Lewis and the News gave us were you know three or four outstanding albums yeah. that that you can go back and again four one of those albums go back and revisit it because uh, who doesn't want to hear Joe Montana and Ronnie Lott singing background to it's hip to be square which is another just one of the best I think one of the best songs of the decade in my opinion um, but this is Jacob's Ladder from the album four for Huey Lewis in the news number 23 on our top 40 countdown number 22 ties into uh, to our previous episode but again this goes to show um, the 87 countdown doesn't have any barriers. Well, that would be that band out of uh, Philadelphia known as Cinderella with Nobody's Fool. That's right, Sean. They started in a, a room above a garage in Clifton Heights, PA, down in Delaware County. Tom Kiefer, Eric Brittingham, Jeff Labar, and um, Fred Corey is credited with the band. He doesn't play on the album. Um, he joined the band after the album was made. Where I credit Cinderella is, uh, you know, bands, heavy metal bands, were got into the routine of doing these power ballads. Sure. And this certainly falls within that realm. But if you listen to the words in the song... Uh, it's not a love song. It's not a love song at all. <laughs> He's screaming at the girl, I'm not your fool. I mean, this is... This is, this is pretty angry song that's done it's in the very time slow. you realized i'm not your fool yeah so <laughs> yeah you know leave it to, to tom keeper who's known for being a good songwriter for taking kind of that element or that style that you got to put in a power ballad in your album okay i'm gonna write you a slow song and then don't bother listening to the words because it's one of the angrier songs ever written i think by uh, by a guy but you're right you think of the junior high dance <laughs> anyone listen to the lyrics i will bet you that it was played during it's like you know everybody's <laughs> looking around going well, all right you know it is a slow song yes but let's not listen to the words because <laughs> it's a it's a guy and a girl who are pretty mad at each other so yeah. um but still i mean this this is i shake me was the was the first song that kind of put them on the map Sure, and this was this was a song that kind of grabbed your attention and made Cinderella like okay, Cinderella's going to stick around for a little while. Well, they they, I mean, they hit the uh, you know you knew about them after Shake Me, right? I don't know that Shake Me was a huge hit on the charts. This song was obviously by its position. Sure. So this you know this was the the second single to come out. Um, but, being part of the Bon Jovi tour certainly helped, but just being an MTV band, and this shows you the power of MTV at that time, because MTV was more, I think, more important than the radio back then. And then as opposed to the radio charts influencing MTV, oh, no, no, MTV dictated what was happening on the charts. And we talked about that in our very first episode, and that was one of the points that I was starting to make that Around 1983, you really started to see that shift mm-hmm. where MTV was saying, uh, you know, what we're playing is going to have an influence on the charts and not vice versa. It is interesting, though, with that song. And, and I don't know what it says about the times uh, that 
a song that was not a love song <laughs> is you know considered a power ballad you know and and it was humongously popular sure all right so that was number 22 uh cinderella nobody's fool off of their debut night songs album and we are doing the uh top 40 countdown from january 31st 1987 number 21 uh sean and i were definitely a fan of this we were fans of the singer and this was one of his one of his bigger hits. This is a guy who everybody kind of knew about. Released a lot of albums and had the occasional chart hit. And also has one of those very distinctive voices that once he starts singing, you, you kind of... But in terms of being known for his voice, did a lot of background singing, a lot of producing... while we're waiting for him to start yeah, singing. Yeah, I know. It's like I, I need that to like <laughs> give me all the information. Well, I'll tell you the name of the album was Give Me the Reason. So this sounds like Luther Vandross. It is Luther Vandross. Oh, that sounds so much like Luther Vandross Absolutely. right there. Very distinct voice. I mean, I, I'm i going to wait till he sings the, the chorus because okay. I'm kind of forgetting the... It's like stop or something like that, or you, you pretty much got it. It's called stop the love. There you go. And when he starts going into the chorus here, I mean, this yeah. is signature Luther. This is a guy who went back in the seventies. So when you listen to to Luther Vandross, you know I think of some of the other acts or artists that we've heard. You know, Aretha Franklin in particular kind of jumps out. And while you hear what at the time was very modern sounds, you know the synthesizer sounds in the background, these are in many ways kind of 1960s R&B songs. Yeah, I mean this this has direct Motown roots mm-hmm. to it, and that was when David Bowie came out with his album and had the song Young Americans and Luther sang backup on Young Americans okay uh, uh, David Bowie came to America and recorded in, in New York you know, he recorded in Philadelphia but he recruited a bunch of um, New York City singers one of which was Luther Vandross and they came down um, but he wanted that kind of wanted that to touch that Motown mm-hmm that Motown sound so so there definitely was something happening at the time yeah so that's number 21 Stop the Love by the great Luther Vandross and just to point out you know let's run down our last four songs here just to show the diversity Mm -hmm. of a countdown like this so you had you went from Notorious by Duran Duran from England Jacob's Ladder Huey Lewis in the News Cinderella Nobody's Fool Stop the Love Luther Vandross that's four very distinct uh, music uh, genres right there and i really liked all of them absolutely so all right at this point we're going to stop uh, part one of our top 40 countdown so we're going to go into part two of our top 40 countdown with 20 to number one so for uh gen x playback i am scott and i'm sean and we will talk to you next time as we finish out the top 40 from january 31st 1987 And we'll talk to you then. See you.